Thank you, Philip, for leading us in our reading. And that's what we're going to be focusing a bit on this morning, um, the children of Israel not recognizing God in Hosea, uh, the story of the prodigal son, and then thinking about us at this Christmas season. You'll see in your order of service that the next section is entitled the Hallelujah Chorus. Uh, This is going to work or may not work. Um, so uh, Fitzroy being Fitzroy, you know, and all the talent here, if you want to assemble at the front and act it out for me, that would be great. Um, but we're going to see if I can just play the audio of this clip. Uh, from the last so uh, stealing from Steve, why don't you just sit and relax? Why don't you let your eyes fall shut and think a little um, as we listen uh, to this
powerful piece of choral music, you will agree. Um, where, I wonder, when your eyes were falling shut, did you think that was set? Maybe somewhere like the Waterfront Hall, maybe in some great opera house around the world. But no, this was actually filmed in a <coughs> shopping centre in the middle of Philadelphia. Yes, it was performed by the Philadelphia uh, Opera Society, but what they were doing was letting that piece of choral music break in to the world in which people were finding themselves doing their, sh their Christmas shopping. And this morning, uh, I want us to focus our attention on thoughts around this whole idea of the Hallelujah Chorus breaking into life, and more importantly, breaking into Hosea as we have been working our way through it. So our title this morning then is The Hallelujah Chorus Breaks In to Hosea and Finds the Gospel. Uh, this clip was actually shown uh, last year by Gary Burnett in one of his New Testament lectures. I can remember the clip well, not so much the lecture. Uh, no offense to Gary, but it was that last week in term, which is rapidly approaching. My attention were elsewhere. I was thinking, what do I need to get done? What do I need to get handed in? And how can I kind of impress the person sitting beside me? But this clip stood out in the midst of all that. And I suppose this clip this morning I want us to think about is a kind of contemporary parable. Clip number two, slide number two. Um, because for this morning, the gospel, I think, is a little bit like a man who went to Macy's to buy a pair of socks, and yet while he was there, the hallelujah chorus broke out. Bear with me, it will make sense, hopefully. The gospel, then, is like a man who went to the shop to buy a pair of socks, and while he was there, the hallelujah chorus broke out. If we had have been able to witness or watch the clip, we would have seen how all the different people there experienced the hallelujah chorus differently. Some were stunned. Some of them were standing, standing and wondering to themselves, is this some kind of weird dream? I just came to the shop to buy the stuff I need for Christmas, and yet this is happening in our midst. Others are just caught up in the buzz and couldn't care less about what's going on. They're going, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, I need that last ten of biscuits. I have presents I need to buy. Some are even standing and joining in in the familiar words uh, of the Hallelujah Chorus. We see and we hear the song build and build and build and the camera pans round the shopping centre. There's a girl sitting getting her makeup done. She's thinking, huh, I just came here to get my makeup done. What's this going on around me? But no matter what the reaction of the people in the shop that day, they are confronted all of a sudden with a picture of truth and of beauty. Though the experience for them was not in the least bit planned, it caught them unawares. I wonder how you or I might have responded. Say next Saturday you're dandering around town and suddenly all these people around the shop start singing. What would your response be? Would it be one of stunned, a stunned response? What's going on? Would we reach straight for our phone to record the experience, thinking to yourself, I don't really know what's happening here, but I think I need my camera. The gospel breaking 
end to everyday events of life. To everyone who went to the shop that day, what they witnessed was a random event. I wonder what happens when we are confronted by truth and beauty in the world around us. What happens when we are confronted with the gospel and the kingdom of God when we least expect it? Hosea is the story of God breaking in to the life of Israel once again through the words of his prophet. And in the prodigal son, we see God breaking into the mess that that son had become after he left home. I'm sure many of us here this morning could recite the story of the prodigal son Um, we're so familiar with it. Sometimes we become too familiar with the text. So this morning I just want to read uh, Philip Yancey's interpretation of this story in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace. Perfect. There we go. A young girl grows up on a cherry orchard just above Michigan. Her parents, a bit old-fashioned, tend to overreact to her nose ring, the music she listens to, and the length of her skirts. They grind her a few times and she sees inside. I hate you, she screams at her father when he knocks on the door of her room after an argument. And that night she acts on a plan. She has mentally rehearsed scores of times. She runs away. She had visited Detroit only once before on a bus trip with her church youth group to watch the Tigers play because newspapers in that city report in lurid detail the gangs, the drugs, the violence in downtown Detroit, she concludes that this is probably the last place on earth that her parents would look for her. California, maybe. Florida, perhaps, but not Detroit. On her second day there, she she meets a man who drives the biggest car she's ever seen. He offers her a ride, buys her lunch, and arranges a place for her to stay. He gives her uh, some pills that make her feel better than she's ever felt before. She was right. She was right all along, she decides. Her parents were keeping her from all the fun. The good life continues for a month or two, a year. That man with the big car, she calls him boss, teaches her a few things. Since she's um, she lives in a penthouse and orders room service whenever she wants. Occasionally, she thinks about life back home. But their lives now seem so boring. She can hardly believe she grew up there. She has a brief scare when she sees the words printed on the back of a milk carton. Have you seen this child? But by now, she has blonde hair and the makeup and the body piercing and the clothes she wears are so far removed from that girl she was growing up that she thinks it's okay. No one will recognize me. After a year, she swallows signs of illness that appear, and it amazes her how fast then that her boss turns mean. When winter blows in, she finds herself sleeping on metal uh, grates outside the big department store. Sleeping is the wrong word, really, for this kind of girl. She goes from day to day. The darkness beneath her eyes gets bigger and her cough worsens. One night she lies awake as she hears 
footsteps. All of a sudden, her life is about to look different. She no longer feels like a woman of, a, of the world. She's a little girl lost in a frightening city. She begins to whimper. Her pockets are empty and she's hungry. She's shivering. Something jolts and a memory comes to mind and suddenly she thinks back to that childhood that she so reeled against. God, why did I leave? She says to herself as the pain and the heartache stabs at the very center of her heart. My dog back home eats better than I do now. She's sobbing and she knows that in a flash that more than anything else in the world, she wants to go home. Three straight phone calls follow with connections to answering machines. She hangs up without leaving a message the first two times. But the third time she says, Dad, Mom, it's me. I was wondering about maybe coming home. I'm catching a bus up your way and... I'll get there around midnight tomorrow. If you're not there, well, I guess I'll just stay on the bus until it hits Canada. It takes seven hours by bus to make all the stops between where she is and Detroit. During that time, she realizes the flaws in her plan. What if her parents were out of town and missed the message? Shouldn't she have waited another day or so until she could actually speak to them in person. She should probably have given them some time to even overcome the shock of hearing from this child they haven't heard of or from in a long time. But finally, the bus rolls into the station. Fifteen minutes, folks, that's all we have. Fifteen minutes to either get on or off that bus. She checks her hair. She does her lipstick. She looks at the tobacco stains on her fingertips and wonders if her parents will notice, if they will see her there. She walks towards the terminal, not knowing what to expect. Suddenly, she's greeted with a sign, welcome home. Her mother and father are glad to see her. She, of course, breaks into floods of tears for the pain and the hurt that she has caused. Her father interrupts her. Hush, child, we have got no time for that. No time for apologies. You'll be late for the parting. And so it is for us with God's amazing grace. Think back to what we've been witnessing in Hosea. We've been recounting the story of Gomer and Hosea, the fact that she has gone out and was selling herself to men in the city. We see him going out and buying her back. If he can't have her for God, no one can have her. The same is true in the prodigal, the story of the prodigal. The child, while it may go off and spend all the money and live in the world and enjoy its pleasure, ultimately it comes home and finds rest with a father who has paid the ultimate price for it. I suppose it was J.R.R. Tolkien who in his Lord of the Rings trilogy said, next slide, that all that glitters is not gold. And someone has then added to that, and not all wanderers are lost. 
in Hosea chapter 14, which is the concluding chapter of the book that we're reading, we see this cry from God reach its climax. Return, Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord and say to him, Forgive all our sins and receive us graciously, that we may offer the fruit of our lips. They have realized that in the midst of all the countries they were fleeing to, all the pleasures they were indulging in, nothing is as good as the promise of God for his people. The same is true in the story of the prodigal. We read that after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the entire country, and he began to be in need. And then we read that when he came to his, to his senses, he returned back home. I don't know how many of you were here uh, the evening that Steve was uh, doing the gospel according to the Waterboys and Mike Scott. And during that, he had uh, one of the songs, which was, What Do You Want Me To Do? And I suppose as I was preparing during the week for this morning, if you could just move on two slides there, um, these words kind of jumped off my iPlayer at me and kind of fell into the midst of what we were talking about. I've tried to do things my own way, and I've tried to do what people say, and I'm going nowhere fast, so I'm turning to you at last. I can see the lights of home, but I can't get there on my own. I can see the landing slip, but I need you to steer my ship. I'm listening. What do you want me to do, Lord? As many of you, or some of you know, at uh, Queen's when I was studying originally, I studied medieval philosophy and was quite into what uh, some of the early church fathers uh, were saying and how that was influencing then um, this generation of thought. And St. Anthony was one of the kind of desert monastic men that people used to come to and ask him how... Uh, how, can I, um, how can I understand what I'm doing? How can I figure out who I am? And his response to them always used to be, you get to know yourself when you recognize your own junk. If you can't figure it out, ask someone close to you. Recognize what's taking over your life. A little insight into how you really uh, think and live leads to humility and a chance for greater change. Jesus himself in the gospel, um, turning people around, crying to people, repent, swap your mind for another. The kingdom of God is breaking out all around you, but you can't see it. It's an invitation to change. In the video clip of the Hallelujah Chorus, if we had been able to, to watch it together, when they reach the end of the performance, the people there hold up signs that say, you have just experienced a random act of culture. Here they are in this shopping center listening to a piece of 300-year-old music on an organ, hardly relevant to consumerism today. And so, too, people often say the same thing about the gospel. Oh, that's for those people back there. What has that really got to do with me today? Next, next slide there. But uh, James Brian Smith 
a student of Dallas Willard, calls this gospel-living life the good and beautiful life. The son of the prodigal son and the girl in the modern story um, have run away to this kind of fabulous, glittering, all-singing, all-dancing life. Yet it is only when they return home that they can find true contentment, love, and peace. Uh, I suppose, thinking about that, we are so quick to buy in to the culture around us, though some have said that society is the sinking ship from which you and I need to swim for our lives. Now, don't get me wrong, as you know, I'm quite a fan of contemporary pop. Uh, I enjoy the culture around me, but sometimes it can drag you down. I think what we need to be doing is redeeming the culture around us. Look what happened to the children of Israel when they got so incorporated into the culture around them. Hosea paints a stark picture. They were getting into all sorts of messes, prostitution and worshipping this and that, engaging in orgies, and the list is endless. Look at the younger story in the prodigal son story. He was enjoying the culture that he found himself in, in the midst of his travels, yet it chewed him up and spat him back out. You and I this morning need to be swimming. Otherwise, it will drag us down. The good news of the gospel is an invitation to swim in the opposite direction. But we don't want to be... um, Do we want to be that kind of people, a people swimming against the tide. Uh, Augustine, another one of my friends from my time at medieval philosophy, said, Lord, make me chaste, but not yet. How much is that like you and I today? Yes, God, I want to change, but just, just not yet. I'm enjoying it at the moment. Same was true for the people Um, of Israel and the prodigal son. But there is that moment of realization and coming uh, to your senses. The thought I want to leave us with this morning is that you and I, over this festive season, need to be gospel artists. Uh, Next slide. Uh, Last year, I was doing a seminar paper on art and pastoral care, and I came across this phrase, being a gospel artist. We need to be a blank canvas onto which God can project his story and what he is doing on to us. People who think about their own lives as a work of art, that blank canvas, slowly but surely displaying the brushstrokes of God's change in our lives. Um, Sorry. The Bible, then, ultimately is an opportunity for and a call for us to participate in the greatest story ever told. But you and I need to take ownership of it. The person at the front has just as much responsibility as the person at the back. Look at what was happening in Hosea. The priests were leading the people astray. Um, They weren't... um, They weren't uh, leading the people in a way that was right. And ultimately, as a result, the nation was perishing. They were running and spiraling out of control. You and I need to take responsibility for this message. This morning, we need to know ourselves. We need to swim. And we need 
to be gospel artists, which will ultimately allow us to join in the choir, the kingdom of God that sings an alternative song, a choir where every voice matters, echoing out a song of beauty and truth in the midst of uncertainty that wakes people up and brings them to their senses, just like the choir at that supermarket that Saturday as people were shopping and just buying things, suddenly they were confronted with truth and beauty. And ultimately, that is what our reading from John this morning was about. The world did not recognize God, yet his light still shone in the midst of all that darkness. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do keep buying us back, no matter how often we may let you down or fail you. You keep on bringing us back to yourself. So we pray, Father, that over this festive period that people will begin to think and ponder about you, and that they would, in the midst of all the sparkle and all the glitter, be brought back to you who was born in a manger for them. In Jesus' name we pray.